Behind the Bite podcast is part of a network of podcasts that are good for the world. Check out podcasts like the Full of Shit podcast, After the First Marriage podcast, and Eating Recovery Academy over at practiceofthepractice.com backslash network. Welcome to Behind the Bite podcast. This podcast is about the real life struggles women face with food, body image, and weight. We're here to help heal, inspire, and create better, healthier lives. Welcome. Well, welcome to the show, everyone. Today, I have an amazing guest who is here to share her own story and how she went from years of struggling to recovery. So for any of you out there who have doubts that you can recover, please sit back, find a quiet place, and take the time to listen to this inspiring story. Amy Ferraro has been married for 25 years and is a mom to a 17-year-old son with autism and a 22-year-old daughter. She has a BS degree in elementary education and family studies and a master's degree in early childhood education. She dealt with binge eating disorder and atypical anorexia for 30 years. About three years ago, she developed Kick Ed's Butt, a social media forum to support anyone that suffers with an eating disorder. Well, Amy, welcome to the show. Hi, thank you for having me. So, uh, you know, I really appreciate that you're uh, here and willing to talk about your your own story. So I'm um, just wondering, uh, since you're here, would you mind telling us a little bit about your yourself and your story? Sure. I started having an eating disorder when I was a teenager mm-hmm. in high school. I went through a lot of bullying and kids were just mean and I started restricting and then I kind of um, settled down with that for a while. Once my parents kind of confronted me and said, you know, you need to really start um, eating and it was one of those things where it kind of put me off, but I listened, I always listened to my parents. So I, I was like, okay, but then once I hit college and was living on my own, I was doing the binging started and I binged for like 30 years through my marriage, um, I've been married to my husband 25 years and most of my marriage, my husband didn't even know I was binging. Um, I would go all day and not eat and then binge at night. And what happened was um, probably about five years ago, I started having these excruciating headaches and spent lots of time in the hospital and was... um, diagnosed with pseudotumor cerebri, which is, it, it means fake brain tumor. So you have mm-hmm. all the symptoms of a brain tumor, but oh it, it's extra fluid in your brain. So I had to get um, two brain surgeries and I have some equipment now in my brain that's taken the fluid out of my brain. So I don't have the excruciating headaches anymore. But the reason why I bring that up is I had a 25-year career working with children and families, working in the field of child abuse, and I ended up becoming disabled and couldn't work. 
And the issue I have, like memory issues, I have issues with my balance. I have um, some lasting effects from that. And I still have headaches constantly, migraines constantly. So I ended up, became disabled and couldn't work anymore. So I was home. And being home, my husband was noticing food disappearing fast. And he is like, what is going on? And I kind of avoided it for a little while. But I finally did admit that I've been binging for all these years. And what happened was, um, it was to the point where, like, I couldn't control it. And I talked to my doctor about it. And I ended up going to residential treatment. For binging disorder, and I did um, IOP and PHP afterwards and before. I actually did um, outpatient before mm-hmm. I went to residential treatment, and then I did outpatient after. And so, also during that time, I was diagnosed with atypical anorexia because of the restriction that I was doing. So I struggled with both, but it was the best thing that happened that I finally all came out because my parents were supportive, my husband was supportive, my kids were supportive, and I decided to focus on it. So then after I get out of treatment, which is probably like four years now, about a year after that, I was kind of just sitting uh, sleep with night because I have trouble sleeping a lot. So I was up and I said, I really want to make some kind of support for people with eating disorders. And so one night I just came up with kick Ed's butt. And, mm-hmm. and it's like a funny name because I laugh every time I say it because I'm like, why did I come up with that? But it's really the truth. The truth is that I am working on kicking Ed's butt every day. And so I ended up making a Facebook um, page, a Facebook support group. I have a Instagram page and I just post like positive encouragement for people with eating disorders because I feel like people just need that encouragement to know that they're worthy and worthwhile of treatment. And they're worthy of recovery. And recovery is hard. And I put it out there too. But recovery is possible. Um, I have not had a behavior in like three years. And it's a struggle every day. But because of the encouragement that I've given for kids that kick at butt, I get messages constantly for people wanting support, having questions, and it just really has turned into something positive for me because I'm able to help support people through this process, which is a long, hard process. Well, that, I mean, what a trajectory, right? And I know you you know, distinctly in the very short period of time, just went over kind of like your whole life from, you know, 
being a teenager to now. Um, and I'm just wondering, going back to, I know you said you were bullied and I know a lot of people listening can very much relate to that and that kind of being one of the main triggers to people starting to kind of manipulate food and want to change their bodies. And um, if you think back to that time, do you think there were any other factors that contributed or do you think that was like the main one where you just felt like, okay, I don't like how I'm feeling. I don't like how my peers are treating me. This is really awful. I want to do something. And this is the only thing I feel like I can do right now. That was the main thing. But when I started losing weight in high school, I remember this person that worked at the school that specifically came to me and said, you lost weight. You look really good. Mm -hmm. I've always been in a bigger body, um, you know, since high school. And when someone made that comment to me, it was like, all right, now I'm going to really work on that and work on losing weight. And I've always, my whole um, adult life have, have been on diets and tried so many things to lose weight. And now I'm focusing on you're beautiful no matter what size you are. And the other thing I'm focusing on on is that you can have an eating disorder in a bigger body because I had doctors constantly tell me over the years, you got to lose weight, you have to lose weight and not focusing on that I could have had an eating disorder during all that. And I love that you brought up just two things that are so important. You know, I hear that constantly from people and I even experienced that myself when there's a change in the body and you know, someone makes that comment, oh, you look great. You know, it's kind of this feeling that's like, oh, I want that feeling again. I want to be noticed. And it can be very intoxicating and feel like, oh, I need to keep doing this and uh, kind of propels people on this path to their eating disorder and maintaining it. And uh, to your point, like continuing on with the diets, like I got to keep doing this. This is what's getting me positive attention. This is what feels good, right? Um and I wish there was some way to get out the message to the world. Like, do not make comments about people's appearance or their bodies, especially if they lose weight. And I don't know how we can stop that. But um, every time I hear somebody say that, like I was watching a show the other day on TV and uh, the host said, wow, man, you you look like you lost weight. You look great. And I just cringed. I went, oh, gosh, you know, that's just such an awful message to the world, whoever's listening. Like, why does that have to be the comment? Why does that even have to be a thing? Because um, I think to your point, it's like I've heard lots of uh, people talk about how that was one main thing that just kind of was the impetus to everything. Um, but also to your point, you know, nobody knows what you have going on uh, just by the your appearance or the size of your body or your weight. And so, so many people with eating disorders go into the doctor and they don't get the right diagnosis and they get very wrong information that actually perpetuates their eating disorder. You know, if you're being told to do all these things that you're probably already doing, right? Like how much more could you be doing with eating less and exercising more to lose weight when you are probably, sounds like doing so many things. Yes. And it was just so hard to hear all these years, lose weight. Like I have fibromyalgia and, and some other people, um, issues that I deal with and you go to doctors and they're like you have fibromyalgia because you're heavy and mm -hmm. I was like what 
and they're like, you got to lose weight. And then your fibromyalgia would be so much better. And I finally had a rheumatologist when we lived in um, Maryland, which was a year ago. We just moved to Florida. But when I was in Maryland, this rheumatologist, I went into his office. And I said to him the first visit, I said, if you're going to tell me my weight is an issue because it's fibromyalgia, I'm not even going to sit here and, and listen to you, basically. And he said to me, I wasn't even going to mention your weight. And I fell in love with this doctor because oh, yeah. he's the only doctor that I've had for all these years that said, I'm not going to put weight as a factor for this chronic illness. And I was so relieved and happy that he was like that. And it's very rare. And to have, I mean, that's a whole nother conversation. Having these medical professionals, you go in with an eating disorder and a bigger body and it's like lose weight, lose weight. And never once. Did anyone think of asking me what my eating habits were, if I was having issues? And the only reason I finally got into treatment is because I brought it up myself with my doctor and said, you know, this is what's been going on for all these years. And I had one that was like, oh, that's an eating disorder. (laughs) But again, it took all these years of doctors to finally get one to even help me pursue treatment. Sounds like you found a good one. I mean, I can relate with you. I remember going into the doctor asking, wanting help and saying, look, I'm hardly eating anything. I'm exercising so much and I keep gaining weight. Please help me. I don't know. I feel out of control. And the doctor said, you know, it's okay. You know, people really underestimate how much they eat. Why don't you, why don't you just eat less? And I was like, Lord, I was like, how much less can I eat? You know, to your point, atypical anorexia. Um, I've talked about it on here. I think I weighed the most when I was in my anorexia than any other time in my life. And, you know, I kept getting told the same thing as you just eat less, exercise more. Nobody really took me seriously. I was like, what am I doing here? What's happening? Yeah, it's just so frustrating. And like, I still um, just struggle with that. Like I said, we just moved to Florida and I am finding all new doctors down here, right, as we speak. And it is like I'm frustrated, not frustrated, I guess that's not the right word, but I'm just trying to avoid looking for doctors because I just don't want to go into the weight conversations Mm -hmm. with everybody. So I, but I have so many chronic conditions that I need to see specialists. So I can't avoid it either, but it's just the thought of new doctors. What are they going to (laughs) say? Well, and that makes me sad to hear too. And I hear this all the time that, you know, there needs to be more uh, doctors educated about eating disorders and just not to have the weight bias and not assume to know what people are doing or not doing with their food, but also, you know, there's, just why is that an issue? Like, I'm a strong advocate for, you know, fine, take the blood pressure, take my temperature, but why do we need to have our weight taken? What does that have to do with your health condition? Yeah, I totally agree. And like with me being in a bigger body, 
all my my tests, my blood work, my blood pressure, everything is normal. Like when I go to the doctor, so it's not, it's not like I am showing signs of any type of weight be related issues. Mm-hmm. All my issues are chronic illnesses that don't matter. It doesn't matter what your weight is. Right. I was just thinking about what you were diagnosed with the, your brain and thinking, what does that have to do with your weight? Like nothing. And I mean, just that alone, like that must've been very scary. How did you realize something was going on? Did you feel like you had a lot of headaches and then that like they give you an MRI or CAT scan? Like what happened there for you? I was just constantly um, being put in the hospital for migraines and they would treat me for migraines, but I was still having these headaches. And then this is how just chance happens. I was in the hospital and it was the end of a month. And apparently at this hospital I was in, the doctors like work the floor for a month and then they go on to a, there's a new doctor that works the floor. So it was the end of the month and they would just treat me for migraine. So the first day of the new month came and a new doctor came in Mm -hmm. and he said that I am the new your new doctor while you're in the hospital or whatever and he said there's more going on than migraines I really think there is and so he ended up did a lot of extra tests MRI spinal tap and came to the conclusion that I had this I had the extra fluid in my brain that was causing extra pressure in my head and if it wasn't for that change of the month I wouldn't have had this doctor who pursued it because they were going to send me home. And he's like, I'm not going to send you home. I, I want to do more tests. And it was like, wow, mm-hmm. um, I, this, this went on for a couple of years. I was in the hospital for migraines. So after a couple of years, I had a doctor that said, let's try something different. Let me test for some things. And I, again, thought I was going to fall off my chair because I had a doctor that was looking at things differently and he's the one that diagnosed it when I was in the hospital and then they put me through to surgery and all that so I literally was so grateful for this doctor for finding out what was really wrong with me because I was my balance was off I was falling I was having headaches and it was getting old though because it was like going on for a couple of years and no one could figure it out so it was um a good thing so I have a shot and a stent in my brain to help the fluid flow and I do get pressure headaches like occasionally sometimes there is pressure but I just got I do have chronic migraines on top of it so I do get migraines throughout the month but I'm doing um okay not working is hard for me Mm -hmm. I had a career for 25 years that I love and so not working caused it really caused my binging to just go even more because what I would do is when I was working, I was on the road a lot. I just like would go through a drive through I would binge, come home and 
you know, no one knew. But then at home, it wasn't just at night. It was when people were working mm. and the house and the kids were at school and I had the house. So I was binging more. And so not working really triggered a lot in me because it was a feeling of, I don't know if inadequacy is the right word, but just, I felt like I wasn't accomplishing anything being home. Mm -hmm. And now doing the Facebook groups though, kind of give me something to do because I have a hard time still to this day that I can't work because I just feel like I, I love what I was a workaholic in a way. So in a way it's kind of good because I was able to be a mom. I just finished homeschooling my son. Um, he's a senior. We got that. Yeah. And so I was able to do things that I wouldn't do. Um, working so there's a lot of good out of it there's just a little piece of me that still worries about not working because it was such a big part of of me well and I can see why you know the food would be something that you would turn to to cope get maybe get companionship and I'm wondering you know with that when your husband started noticing more food disappearing you know, a lot of people feel very shamed or feel like it's very uh, secretive behavior engaging him or you. Like, how did you feel when he brought that up to you? Did you feel like, okay, fine, there's some relief. I can speak up and say something or were you kind of like, oh gosh, like, I don't want to say anything. This is embarrassing. How, like, what was that like for you? I was really embarrassed at first. Mm-hmm. Um, there are times now when I, I don't binge, but maybe I'll overeat and the shame and guilt comes right back with the food. And that's, that's a struggle that I have just had. I've always been so embarrassed every time I binge the feelings afterwards, I just feel so bad that I did it. And when he brought that up, that he was noticing it, it was like, Oh no, nothing's wrong. It's okay. I just, um, I, I've been eating on it, but I haven't, you know, eaten a lot. Like I made up those excuses Mm -hmm. until one day I started thinking about it and I was looking up and eating and I said, no, this is really what is going on with me. The feelings with the food, with the food issues were just, out of control and I was just feeling guilty all the time mm-hmm. for eating so was there a point at which you said okay like after you I mean interestingly enough you I'm wondering what got you to the point where you even looked it up I think with my husband mentioning it I just all of a sudden decide to look it up mm-hmm. I think I finally just was realizing it was becoming an issue and when I did look it up and was reading all about 
binge eating and the feelings, I was like, there is a lot here. And then I said to my husband, I said, maybe I should mention it to the doctor and just see what he says. And I was thinking I was going to get, oh, there's nothing wrong. You're fine. (laughs) You know, just lose weight. But he was like, no, that really sounds like it. I really want you to go to this place um, that talks, that does eating disorders and have you um, do an assessment there. And I said, okay. So I went and did the assessment and the girl automatically um, thought I should do residential. Mm. And I called my mom because my mom had known I was going to do the assessment mm-hmm. but I said you know I just do a lot of overeating and stuff I just want to see what they say and I didn't really get into a lot of it with my mother but I got in the car and I called my mom and I said this um girl thinks I need to go to residential treatment for my eating and I'm like I don't know what to even think about it because mm-hmm. I did not think it was anywhere what she was saying um but then I think insurance wanted me to do um, the outpatient stuff stuff first. And so I started that and like I would go home after, after PHP and I would binge. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like the minute I walked in the door, I would just eat and... I had said to my therapist, I said, I really am thinking I need residential. I'm like, I can't even, when I get home, I can't even not binge the minute I get home. And then um, I would not eat all day. Coffee was my breakfast. And Mm -hmm. then I would just binge. And then I, I go to I went to PHP and they served you meals and I wasn't even eating my meals there because I was just saving it up for my binge I think and so they finally did get me into residential treatment and I was there for a week and insurance cut me and they sent me home so then I went back to um, PHP and they ended up got me approved for residential again and I got I got to residential for a month I was there for a month and then insurance caught me again oh my goodness that was the other issue I dealt with all through treatment even when I went back to PHP after treatment um insurance caught me from PHP because of my numbers didn't show I was sick enough and so angry to hear these things. The hurdles. I struggled so much with with insurance cutting me um, several times throughout the process and I would have to try something different and um, just frustrated. And that's the one thing that I really try to promote also is that it's not about the number. Mm -hmm. It's about the behaviors and I, I felt like I wasn't ready to leave residential. I felt like I wasn't ready to leave PHP when I finally did because I was finally starting, like 
you get to a point where you're finally like giving in and saying, yes, I need to do this stuff. And I was at that point and all of a sudden insurance cut me several times. So that was a big struggle with being in a bigger body, having an eating disorder um, because my numbers did not show I was struggling with an eating disorder. And I know there's people listening that can relate to that and probably just frustrated and angry with you just even listening to this. But, um, you know, you did bring up the term atypical anorexia. And so for anyone listening who does not know what that is, can you describe what that is? Because that is very relevant to the criteria and why you did get cut off, I'm assuming, right, with the numbers and the, the insurance. Yeah, it's having pretty much the symptoms of anorexia, but you don't have body weight. But I had the restriction and I was having, um, I was having health issues. Um, I have osteopenia in both my hips because of having an eating disorder. I'm 48. I can't remember how old I am. I'm 48 and I have osteopenia in both my hips. Um, due to malnutrition that I dealt with for years. And that was, you know, it was good to finally get um, diagnosed with the atypical anorexia, but insurance doesn't recognize that. They they look at it as the, the... number on the scale and they're not looking at your behaviors and my behaviors were you know typical of someone with anorexia yeah i I mean it's not unfortunately an actual diagnosis in our diagnostic manual i mean we all know what it is but you know when it comes down to insurance things i just hear your frustration and um you know it sounds like it was just so choppy and I'm wondering like for you how long was it for you to get to the point where you felt like okay I am in recovery I don't need the higher level of care like an IOP or PHP or even residential like well how long was that for you it took me um a couple years after treatment maybe like two years after treatment where I finally felt like I was at the point of being like not needing anything mm-hmm. and but I've been in therapy for ever since I left PHP I had had good therapists um that I dealt with with my eating disorder with and I think going through that process had helped and I was able to see a dietitian um, a couple times after I left. So having those supports really helped. Mm -hmm. And so that's when I finally was able to start feeling like I was in recovery because before I felt like, um, even like two years out, I felt like I was in my eating disorder. I wasn't having the behaviors as much, but I was still feeling like, I'm the same, you know, nothing changed. And then working through it with my therapist, I realized that I was actually in a better place than I was. Mm -hmm. And the word recovery started coming 
up in conversations. And the more we talked about it, the more I realized that, yes, I am in recovery right now. I am not having behaviors. I have a thought. I'm not acting on the thought. And I'm able to, you know, do something, watch TV, call my mom. She's a big support. I call her every day. Um, you know, talk to my husband. You know, I have, I've had other things to replace those behaviors. So it really um, did come, even though I didn't think it was. Well, and I, I'm wondering, did you ever, was that a thought in your mind? Like, oh, I'm never going to get over this. I'm never going to reach recovery. Because I know that that's a big thing I promote on here. Like, I, I hate that myth out there that you're never going to really get over it. It's always going to be with you. And um, like, I wonder if that was like a great conversation to have with your therapist. Like, oh, wait a minute. Like, <laughs> here I am. I'm doing this and it's different. And, you know, there's. I don't have to go back to that space I was in. Yeah, it really was um, a time of good conversation with my therapist when I realized that and was able to talk in a more positive way. And then I was more active in my Facebook groups because Mm -hmm. I saw I felt the feeling of recovery and that's when I was um I'm going to start showing everybody that recovery is possible Mm -hmm. it is possible and I do a lot of my posts about recovery being possible and that you can do it it does happen and it's hard but you can do it And I want people to know if they have no other support out there that someone supports them saying you can do it. No, and that is so inspiring. And um, it it sounds like for you, it's been part of your process and it's something that, you know, sustains you as well. But it sounds like you've helped so many people. And I know that that's that's how I even found you on Instagram is, you know, your posts are fantastic. And um, I see how much support you give people. And so, you know, in that note, if anyone out here listening is going, Hey, how do I, how do I get the support? How do I find Amy? Um, How can they find you? How can they get your support and see your posts and get some encouragement? Yeah. On Facebook, all you have to do is search kick Ed's butt and there will come up a Facebook page and a Facebook support group. And then on Instagram, it's kind of long. I don't know why I did it this way, but it's kick underscore eds underscore but B-U-T-T underscore eating disorders. And um, just look that up and you'll find me um, And if you really can't find me for some reason, um, you can always email me. I will give out my email because I don't mind if people email me and say, I can't find you. I've been looking for you. Um, It's Amy, A-M-Y-C as in cat, Ferraro, F-E-R-R-A-R-O at gmail.com. Wonderful. Thank you so much for 
being such a great resource and your willingness to reach out to people or have them reach out to you as well. So um, any last words for anyone who's listening before we end? Yeah, I just want to remind people that recovery is a process and sometimes you go up and sometimes you go down and sometimes you go back up and down and it is a process, but recovery is possible and you are special and you are just wonderful and you will get through it. And if you ever need support, definitely contact me. I, it's nice to talk to people who've been through it. It makes it more relatable when you're talking to someone that's been through it. So definitely I'm always available. Thank you so much. Really appreciate you being here and sharing your story and sharing all the resources you have for people out there who, you know, do need the support because truly in those moments where you're just feeling so alone and feel like, you know, you're hitting rock bottom, that's really an important resource to have. So thank you so much, Amy. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate being able to um, share my story. This podcast is designed to provide accurate and authoritative information in regards to the subject matter covered. It is given with the understanding that neither the host, the publisher, or the guest are rendering legal, accounting, clinical, or any other professional information. If you want a professional, you should find one.